Welcome to episode two of Pod for Good. I am your chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich. And I am vice admiral philanthropod, Chris Miller. And today our guest is city councilor Kara Joy McKee. Today we'll be discussing her first year in office and uh, how staying connected to city government is super easy and why policy is made by those who show up. And also what she would do if she was emperor for a day and why she's obsessed with insects. Enjoy. We'd like to welcome City Councilor Kara Joy McKee to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jesse and Chris. Thank you. So I wanted to start with sort of a basic question, which is, what is a normal day for a city councilor like? Can you run me through like the timetable of it? Sure. It's being a city councilor. It's variable. The main event is Wednesdays and Wednesdays are between three to seven meetings. Boom, boom, boom. Back to back. Sometimes the meetings are brief. Sometimes they're really long and we never know exactly how long they're going to be. And so we, everything else kind of revolves around Wednesdays and what we're going to do on that day. It's different in different cities, but that's how it is in Tulsa. And, and I try to structure my week such that I get a big break right after the, you know, slam of, of Wednesdays. Um, today I got up, I checked on my, my calendar, who am I meeting with? What are we going to discuss? Do I have what I need to, to be able to answer the questions that my constituents are going to have for me? Are all my meetings where I think they're going to be? Because sometimes I'm doing events. I'm, I'm ribbon cutting. I'm, uh, I'm going to meet on location to see, you know, okay, we've got homeless guys camping out on this bench in front of this business. They want me to see it in person. Sometimes I've got, um, you know, we're, we're opening uh, uh, this park over here or, you know, just, just all sorts of things. There's, there's, um, uh, debris running down the street from this construction site, and this old lady is really mad about it. So I, sometimes I'm on location, sometimes I'm in my office, and I, I'm also coordinating what's going to happen with my daughter. So I've got this seven-month-old baby. That is she with me? Is she with my husband? How much of this can she tolerate before she's like, "No more meetings, mom. I am done." Yeah. So when you said you had to go and see homeless people sleeping on a bench. Who's asking you to go see that? Is it a constituent? <laughs> this is a constituent. Okay, Actually, okay. I use that example because I have one constituent who really wants me to come to his business, even though I've let him know the ways that I am really working on this particular issue and it matters to me and there's a lot that I want to do. He is so angry and he wants me to see it for my own eyes. Um, and, and, and he will not be convinced that I have, that I have seen this and I'm very aware. So... So Wednesdays are the days of the constituent and city meetings? Yeah, those are the meetings. 10.30, uh, urban and economic development. Um, 2.30, um, public works. 4 o'clock, kind of the pre-meeting. Then 5 o'clock, the big council meeting. And then sometimes we throw in some special meetings. And other people, uh, Chamber of Commerce or the mayor's office, other people in the city um, want to squeeze in meetings with us on Wednesdays because that's the day that most of my fellow counselors are there. Those of us that have full-time jobs outside of being a counselor, Wednesday's the day they can be there, which I'd prefer to have meetings any other day but Wednesday because this is my main gig. But but for them, they need to squeeze those in. So I might be there. Last week or the last time we had a council meeting, I got there at 8.30 in the morning and I left. I got home at 10.30 at night. And that was just back to back, trying to grab a few mouthfuls of food in wow. between. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask about the sort of having 
a separate full-time employment if it's, if if the city councilor is in town or mostly those types where it's a job that that's designed to sort of allow you to have a full-time job but still also do this even though I feel like I'm always I've been a proponent of city officials that being their one job mm-hmm. but that's just me yeah, I think it would be useful to have that, especially in some of our districts that have high call call volume and high uh, a, a large number of issues. You know, my my understanding is some of the the districts down south they are fine with electing city councilors again and again because they don't have mm-hmm. a lot of issues. They're not super concerned about things. They feel like their counselor can have a separate job and give them the attention they need. In District 4 and District 1, especially, we get more contacts mm-hmm. from constituents than anyone else. And then I've got things like Greenwood and downtown and the university and all these events, Riverside and, you know, so much happening at all times. I can't imagine. I thought I was going to get another job and <laughs> really glad that I, I didn't do that. <laughs> no. Yeah. So speaking of your constituents, do you ever find yourself kind of your personal beliefs sort of conflicting with what it seems like your constituents want you to do? It's um, It's been really interesting to figure out what my constituents want and and where I always try to dig a little bit when people mm-hmm. first come out with something that that it feels like, OK, I disagree with what they're saying. I ask a lot of clarifying questions because mm-hmm. often there's a fear somewhere. If I feel like, oh, I disagree with that, there there may be an emotion deeper that I absolutely agree with. And they're coming, here's the solution. I want mm-hmm. you to get rid of these people. I hate them. Right. What's going on with these people? Mm-hmm. What, why why are you uncomfortable with them? What's happening in your life? How can I, I find a solution for you that doesn't necessarily do exactly what you're telling me you want me to do, but actually fixes the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, um, I I really like people, and I find that that you know I haven't I haven't had anyone that I've interacted with where I was like that person. I there's nothing that we have in common. Mm-hmm. I found something in common with every constituent I've worked with. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty regular thing that people, especially that that are feeling fearful, are coming with, at me with something that seems extreme and, and not the right solution and, and potentially hurtful for someone mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So you're you're normally able to find something that that fits in with kind of what you what you believe after you kind of talk through it with them. Right, right. Teasing out, you know, what are the core values that are getting us to this proposition okay. that you're throwing my way? Um, every Every time that I've ha- been able to take the time, I can I can piece that out and find mm-hmm. something. And I may not be able to do what they need, but I can at least empathize with them and understand where they're coming from and and incorporate that into my perspective of what we're going to do next. Because maybe, for instance, I had a meeting with some neighbors who were really distraught about some businesses coming in next door to their neighborhood. And mm-hmm. some of them were saying some extreme things. Some were really calm about it. But it came down to to them wanting me to to stop some things that I actually don't have the power to stop. But in hearing them and asking more questions and really learning their perspective, I can look at what we can do to mitigate these circumstances to change what happens in the future so we don't get to the point where there's nothing that can be done. This mm-hmm. is a done deal and and everyone's feeling, you know, angry and frustrated and maybe they feel at least listened to by me, but I'd right. I'd rather they had more than that. Have you had a similar experience with the other city councilors, you know, public officials, city government workers, things like that? Yeah, uh you know, one of the reasons that I ran for office at the city level as opposed to the state level is because it's nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that would really give us the opportunity to set some of those 
those strong distinctions aside that I see really derailing productivity at the state and national level. And all um, eight of my my city council colleagues, I I there are things I really like about each and every one of them, and mm-hmm. I found ways to agree with with each one of them uh, very strongly on some things. There's a lot of core values that we share, and there are disagreements as well. Um, I what I've been told time and again by city staff and and constituents is that this is the friendliest council they've ever seen. <laughs> that we actually really like each other, and that. When we disagree, we let it go. We're not letting it embitter us. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that we can keep that up. We're, we're certainly trying. And uh, with city staff, it's amazing how many people have been in the city for a long time trying to do more with less, more with less. They're understaffed, they're underfunded, and they're trying so hard. Now, some of them, uh, I think, are a little burnt out and jaded. That's that's more frustrating for me than someone who's coming really hard with a solution that I don't agree with because that's I can always deal with it when people have passion when people are are feeling apathetic that's that's much more challenging mm-hmm. so before this you're working at um, the Oklahoma Policy Institute mm-hmm. which you know spends a lot of its time sort of thinking of like sort of almost a higher level about how policies affect the people in Oklahoma right when when you got into office did you find sort of a sort of drastic shift you had to make in your thinking from thinking about like the sort of state and city level policy side of it versus the day-to-day interactions with your other city council members, city employees, and your constituents? That is a constant balance, actually. Uh, Cass Faylor, Krista Patrick, Lori Dector-Wright, and I were meeting with uh, Leadership Tulsa last week, and they asked just, how do we do the balance? How do we, we find the balance between the things, our priorities and our family life? It's an everyday finding the balance kind of situation, because I have to look at the big picture and I can see more of it. I mean, y'all as constituents have invested in training me. There's been so much every day. I'm learning the ins and outs of what the history, the policy, the how we got here and what we can do about it. And I have to keep that in mind. But the nitty gritty of, you know, the bus dropped my 89-year-old mother off at the end of her driveway and she's got dementia and she's in a wheelchair. I have to figure out how to fix that in the moment as well. I, mm-hmm. I have to I have to balance between both of those things. And it, it helps me to remember every day that I don't have to do everything. I can't excuse myself from doing my part, but I don't have to do it all. Um, and I have a great council aide, Mayo Bauer. I can't say enough about her. She can take on some of those immediate needs or give someone um, give someone some space or some resources so that I can get to them in time, or she can give me the alert, like, drop what you're doing, this needs your focus. And having that that team relationship has been really helpful for that. I'm going to ask you like a sort of pop culture question about how you view government. Mm-hmm. Are you more of a Veep person or more of a Parks and Recreation person? <laughs> I had to stop watching Veep because it felt too real. <laughs> My husband loved watching it. And I was, it was stressing me out. I was still working at Oklahoma Policy Institute at the time. And I was all the time going up to the state capitol, which often felt like banging my head against a wall because I'd go down the hallway and oh, legislator after legislator would say to me, you know, I agree with you, but these other guys, they they just don't. <laughs> and I said, you know, all nine of you said this. Can can we all get in the same room? <laughs> like it was it was maddening at times. Um Parks and Rec, I love. I love Parks and Rec. When people started, people asked me to run for office for a a couple decades before I finally agreed, okay, okay, I'll give this a go. And uh, when people started 
comparing me to Leslie Nope after the first season, at least. Um, yes. Then uh, uh, I felt I, it, it gave me this warm, fuzzy feeling because that is how I feel about government. Like, we're going to try our best. We're going to, you know, listen to people caring really loudly at us sometimes. And, uh, you know, and sometimes we're going to pull off things that make people's lives better. So, yeah. Parks and Rec. <laughs> okay. I, that was my sense mm-hmm. from you, but I just wanted to double check because I... I've spoken to a lot of people in government and they're all like, yeah, Veep's too real. Like, it's not funny to me. It's yeah. it's it's more of a reflection of what it's actually mm-hmm. like, what, what the worst part of it's like, while Parks and Rec is like what the, the best days are like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that that's replaced the, is it West Wing or Parks and Rec? Yeah. Now it's Veep or <laughs> Sure. Park. I mean, with West, some, West Wing, that's not real. I'm, it's, it's lovely. It's, it's lovely. It's not real. It's, it's not real. <laughs> I wish it was, but yes. it's not. Mm-hmm. As someone who's been to several city council meetings, I noticed that there seemed to be people who like to show up at every single city council meeting and put their name down and like to talk about every single subject. There's one that I've seen at every single city council. He always comes up, speaks about everything, says lovely things, blesses the city councilors and stuff like that. So how do you feel about people who who do seem to come to every single meeting and talk on every single topic? Yeah. Uh, I've... When I first got into city politics, mm-hmm. I showed up because I was given extra credit for a basic level poli-sci, poli-sci 101 class. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was when I was in Norman at, at OU. I was studying botany at the time. And I fell in love with it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the best soap opera in town. Like, I got hooked. But I started to know those characters in Norman. And they are in every city council. Mm-hmm. The ones that we have here in Tulsa, you know, there are two in particular that are there every time. One who has, has some concerns and questions. And the other who is tweaking his words to fit his own agenda into our city council agenda. Um, the one who's saying his concerns over and over again in slightly different ways, but but really giving us something that he's he's concerned about, doesn't bother me so much as the one who is manipulating the agenda to, to give a little sermon every time. And I have a lot of constituents who have complained about that. And I have to remind them, you know, those are his First Amendment rights. That's not the council endorsing anything that he's saying. I have had some constituents threaten to use his method. Um, and I've had at least one do it fairly well. Another tried and, and didn't, didn't get, get the science of it down quite right. And, uh, the chair had to remind him (sighs) it's a, it's a bit exhausting. And I think, uh, a a waste of time. And evidently some folks have talked to him about it before. And he, he feels called by God to do that. Mm -hmm. Our hands are a bit tied. It's not my favorite thing. Uh, you may notice sometimes I'm, I'm, uh, I'm checking through things on the agenda when he's he's up there. It's very formulaic. I know what he's going to say. And some mm-hmm. of the times the things that he says are offensive to me. Personally, with my own religious beliefs, um, some of the things that he says to me that, that he's intending to be complimentary actually feel offensive. It's <laughs> it's an odd yeah. situation. Yeah. I, I think you're right. It, does, it is an interesting show. I think everyone should go to a city council oh, meeting. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think people realize how accessible their city councilors are and how accessible change in city government. I I think the Tulsa flag is a great example Mm -hmm. that a small group of people outside of government wanted to see a meaningful change. They pushed it through themselves and they kept pushing against the city council until they finally made it official. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge group of people. It wasn't a big, massive amount of money and it was nobody in the government, you know, involved initially. So right. 
I think actually witnessing it, I think everybody should go to at least one city council meeting for if for no other reason to see how our government really works. Yeah. And you never know what will happen. I I went to the city council meeting. I thought it was super interesting. And I ended up getting up to speak because they were talking about bicycles and I cared about bike lanes. That was my main mode of transportation. Mm -hmm. And before I knew it, they were asking me to be on committees. And I I really started to get that, you know, the world is run by those who show up Mm -hmm. in a very real way. I was able to make some policy changes. I think you're right about the flag. I, I was thinking about that this morning as I pulled down a city of Tulsa mug. It was black with this gold rim. And I thought, this says something very different, Mm -hmm. very different about our city than what our new colorful flag says, whether you like it or not. It's visually, it's it's saying something different about who we are. And uh, and yeah, that was very much constituent led. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we are in a time of, I would say, maybe peak both anger and apathy towards government. Mm. And so thinking back to when you decided to run and through the election and through your time serving, what would you tell someone who feels like there's no way to change even things on the local level, like to keep them sort of inspired to get involved in government? Yeah, well, this morning I watched a pep talk from myself this time last year, you know, showed up in the <laughs> Facebook memories. Um, and I was talking to people because there were there were a, there was a lot of frustration, I think specifically around the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. And and just reminding folks how much your vote matters at the local level. I have 40,000 constituents. Only about 20,000 of them are registered to vote. A much smaller fraction of that actually of that group actually do vote. Every vote you cast has such a huge impact at the local level and Chris as you just said the accessibility of your city councilors for the last 10 months I've taken meetings with anyone who asked for one. Anytime I'm I'm going into neighborhoods, meeting with neighborhood associations, trying to find out what what is it that people need? How do I figure that out and if it's not a city thing, I have the ear of the state legislators in a way that's different from constituents. I can help, you know, manage up and and communicate those kinds of things. Government needs to be of the people. And and I think some of the frustration that we feel comes from the apathy that I think, you know, has been with us for a while. There's, There's an enormous amount of frustration. But when you start paying attention and getting involved, you see that things are changing, that good things are happening, and that there are there's a lot that we can get done. There's there's good things that we're doing every single day. I was I was in Guthrie Green yesterday, and a lady came up to me and said, "You helped get a stop sign right outside my business. It's so much safer now." It's a little thing, but she may may be less likely to get in a wreck. Maybe it's a big thing in her life, and I wouldn't have done that. If she hadn't come to me, if she hadn't taken the time to come let me know this is going on, the constituents who come and come to the table, send me an email, let me know what's going on, give me the opportunity to help. And I I would love it if everyone felt that they can just at least give it a try. Even though I no longer live in downtown, I still I still eventually want to talk to you about why there's no recycling downtown. <laughs> it's a conversation we had like a year ago. Yeah, I was I was in Minneapolis last week, and I uh, when I when I arrived, I, I ran into I, I I got there. I walked down this gorgeous boulevard to meet Brian Kurtz uh, downtown. Um, uh, what is it? What is it? He's the he's the downtown downtown coordinating council downtown coordinating council director. Thank you so much. You're and I, I walked into this bar, and I'm like, Brian, Brian, did you see all the trash cans and the recycling bins? They're sh- like every twenty feet. Mm-hmm. There's so many, and he's just 
laughing at me. <sighs> There's good news on the horizon for right. that, for that Jesse. We can we don't have to go into it here, okay. but I, I can tell you all about it, or but, I can tell you here, whatever listen, you like. As long as they do it at 1 a.m. in the morning. That's right. all I care about. <laughs> well, and related to that, something that I always ran into is that it seems downtown we want all the residentials to be mixed-use, mixed commercial, retail, residential, but then because they're mixed-use, the city doesn't uh, do recycling on them because they're not pure residential. But that's... That's I don't know if that's a zoning issue or what. But. It's something that I hope with the downtown coordinating council striking out and becoming its own entity, which I think is going to happen in the next couple of years, mm-hmm. we'll be able to address that. But we've we've just contracted with a new company that is going to do a much better job of keeping things clean and it's beautiful good. downtown. It's good. It's about to get even better. Yeah. Excellent. It, you've recently celebrated your first year, right? Yeah. right? Well, uh, almost. 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 Yeah. It feels like it's been longer. I know. Right? Yeah, <laughs> December third. Yeah. yeah, you replaced a city councilor that was, we'll say, colorful. Indeed, he was. Uh, when he was passionate about something, he could be very forceful. Yes. about it as well. So, how has it been replacing somebody who was had been in the city council for a while, but also a very colorful character? Yeah, you know, there are times when I don't have maybe the flourish that he has of <laughs> stepping up to the, the the soapbox and giving giving the the beautifully crafted speech. Uh, I heard one from him while we were in Minneapolis, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but I know that from, from the conversations I had with constituents, mm-hmm. people elected me because they knew I would have a collaborative approach. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm showing that, that that's, I'm here to make sure that all the voices are heard mm-hmm. and um, and to really really try to bring as many people to the table as possible. I'm getting appreciation from most most of my constituents from that. It's interesting. I, I, I've met so many people that really liked his policies on a lot of things, but they didn't like his personality. And he yeah. and I are very different personality-wise. <laughs> yeah. So that's worked out fairly well. That's good. Yeah. I think yeah. we're both technically constituents of yours. So. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh-huh. like, we're really doing j- just for us. So. Yes, I know. That's right. This is just for us. Yeah. This whole podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's certainly true. I don't mind. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> what about something over the last year that has maybe been either more controversial than you expected or has been more of a fight with either other city councilors, with the mayor, or or to try to, to get something accomplished that you wanted? Yeah, I knew that coming into city council, we're coming up on the centennial of the race massacre. I mm-hmm. knew that that was part of my motivation to really make sure that Tulsa gets this right, mm-hmm. that we build into the city of Tulsa processes that, that last beyond beyond the centennial that help us really continue to heal and to to come together. It may be a hundred years since the event happened, but I think for most of us, it feels somewhat more like 20 years because mm-hmm. it was hidden. There's a lot of work to do. And I expected us to get down to it. And we have, uh, especially with regard to the equality indicators and working with the TPD. But just as we were beginning to have those conversations about, are we going to have hearings around the equality indicators? We kind of whoosh ended up in this process with the office of the independent monitor that the mayor threw out there. And, and he and his staff had been working on it for a long time. Um, but as it came out very quickly, there was a lot more controversy. Well, there, the, the, the solution itself was a, was a surprise, and then the controversy around it was was somewhat surprising, and that it's lasted this long, and that, that we then ended up taking it off the table, and getting back. We're we're 
kind of back on the path that we were on before of methodically bringing together all the studies that we've already done and finding the best solutions. I have been encouraged to see how much commitment there is from all of the city council to make things better right now. I don't get the impression that any of the nine of us don't care or are just playing games. We're there's there's definitely genuine intention to make things better. Now, how we get there, um, that's been, you know, the most tense conversation that we've had. And it's not dividing down party lines and it's not dividing down gender lines. That's been tough. It is the thing that keeps me up at night uh, or keeps me up after after my daughter wakes me up. <laughs> that's yeah. what keeps me up. I want to make sure that that as we craft our solutions that can bring Tulsa together, that can heal, that can restore Greenwood, mm-hmm. that we don't neglect the rest of the city and that we don't neglect the input of the populations that have been affected, that will be affected. There's so much that goes into it. It's uh, It's delicate in some ways, but sometimes having an issue that can be so delicate causes people to stall out and not take action. And that's absolutely not an option here. Mm-hmm. There have been times when I've been able to push and say, hey, this feels scary, but we're going to feel the fear and do it anyway. And I wasn't alone in saying that. And I was able to, with my colleagues, get the confidence of some people who felt afraid to try something new. We're going to keep doing that. Um, but it's not easy. It's tough every day. Do you feel the um, search for the mass graves is a good step in the right direction? Or is it kind of, this may sound bad, but a distraction from some of the you know, broader systemic issues that you're trying to deal sure. with? Sure. Great question. I think both need both both of those need to happen, the systemic changes, as well as the truth-telling. The mm-hmm. truth and reconciliation process doesn't happen without the truth. And um, one of the things that surprised Mayor Bynum when he announced that we are going to look for these mass graves, he expected some pushback from the community. That didn't materialize. What came instead were a lot of people, and especially surprising, a lot of white people who came to him and said, you know, my grandparents used to tell me the stories of these graves that were over here. And and then someone else, oh, the, I heard that there were some over mm-hmm. here. People coming out of the woodwork telling stories about their own families who may have participated in one way or another, who know, knew about sites that we hadn't even heard about. Mm-hmm. He was shocked. We on the council were shocked. I think this has opened up the ability for us to come together and admit that these really painful things happened, that many of us, our ancestors participated mm-hmm. in this. And and to be able to atone for that, um, we have to tell the truth of what happened. We have to, to say we're sorry. We have to be specific about what we're sorry for. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do a lot of volunteer work with the John Hope Franklin Center. And I remember when that was announced, there was both like excitement, but also concern because it's one of those things where no matter how it turns out, the information could still be used against the North Telson community. Either say they don't find, they don't find anything. Then people can say like it didn't actually happen or they don't find, you know, the amount that everyone says it does. Like it's one of those things where like the journey towards truth is always important, but people can always turn those facts against you. Sure. Right. So like that's why I think what you were saying is if you were concerned it was a distraction because like the the work that needs to be done to 
you know, uh, reconcile Tulsa with its own history is more important than the number of people who died, Mm -hmm. even though them dying was terrible. Like the, the damage that was done after that is just as bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the damage that was done during that, that is separate from the murders, separate from the people who died. When I was in Minneapolis last week, there was a a community there called Roland, I believe. And they, experienced what so many so many communities in, in the United States experienced with highways being put through black communities uh, that Roland was specifically a um, a low-income black and Jewish community where they put the highway right through the middle of it and it you know used eminent domain to take all of these houses and businesses and whatnot and, and what we call in Tulsa I've heard many call the second death of Greenwood when we put 244 right through there and um, and one of the things that an elder who's been working on this beautiful idea that they have for a land bridge that could go over that that space and, and really rebuild some community, one of the things he said to us was, if you can quantify it, you have facts. You have facts you can use. And the death toll is one one thing that we could quantify. But there's this whole separate issue of all of these insurance claims that were denied because it was called it was labeled a, a riot. And then, you know, we have the people who were marched to the old fairgrounds, to the concentration camp there, and the 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 Tulsans who lined up on the side of the road and literally ripped their meager belongings out of their hands. There was so much that was stolen mm-hmm. and stolen in a lot of different ways. And I think uh whatever we find out about the death toll like you said, that's just one piece of it. And uh, to reckon with this, we have to we have to to reckon with what what that means to take everything that a community has built. I, I mean, I can tell you, like from reading the commission report, you know, and I'm a former Holocaust educator, so I thought I was pretty numb to horrific things. But you read the commission report, and the thing that stayed with me the most was afterwards, black Telsons who like worked for uh, white businesses or white families uh, were trying to get out of this concentration camp they were put in, their, you know, their bosses would try to come and bail them out, but only knew their first name. And so they couldn't, they couldn't get them out because they did, they couldn't confirm this person was that person. And I was just like, wow. They only knew their first name. Yeah. Names. Only knew their first name. Yeah. The, the stories about what happened after, I mean, like you said, some of that is more horrific. the, the way that the city actually tried to change use zoning laws as a weapon. Right. So they changed the zoning laws to make it nearly impossible for Greenwood to be rebuilt. Right. But what's amazing, and it sometimes get lost in talking about the horror of what happened, is the spirit of the people of Greenwood that, that they fought back. They yeah. kept fighting back. Yeah. They got those zoning laws changed and they rebuilt. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's... It truly is, you know, an amazing story of Tulsa that, that you know, you can't talk about the horror without, you know, talking about the amazing spirit and how both are intrinsically part of what Tulsa is today. And right. and the more we he- we we talk about the truth of what happened, you know, the more we we can hear both the good and the bad of it. Yeah, yeah, I I think. Many of us have an image in our minds of of Greenwood pre-massacre and something of the massacre, but I don't even know how to to envision what the second what the rebirth of Greenwood looked like before the highway came through. I 
I, I admit, I don't know how to see that. And I want to, I want that story to be told. I want, I, I, I said, I've said to, to many people that if we can't tell the stories of Greenwood, then we're doing a huge dis- disservice to Tulsa. We're not being the best Tulsans that we can be. We have mm-hmm. to know those stories. That's part of the, our identity as Tulsa. So on a, this is a more hypothetical question for you, but say you got to be sort of emperor for a day. <laughs> what is the one thing you'd want to accomplish in town during that day? Ooh. Is it bike lanes everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, I think so much about, about what tweaks I can make that would <laughs> have long-term solutions. What something, and, 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 it can be a small thing that you think like would have drastic change. It could be like one specific thing in one specific place. Just like you have the power for one day to do whatever you want right. in town. I would give everyone housing. Everyone. Housing first. We want to be a housing first community. We don't have enough housing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were emperor for a day, we'd all stop everything else. We'd get that housing built or refurbished or whatever needs to happen and everyone would have their own place that was safe um yeah right then and there yeah good answer thanks i was gonna you sort of talked about your city councilor assistant that you have but i'm i'm curious about how you keep track of things like mm-hmm. on a personal basis like you a notebook person are you a uh to-do list app sort of person are you a i just remember it Everything got disrupted uh, by having a baby because I am so often without access to both of my hands. <laughs> I've literally become better at typing one-handed. It's really, really tricky. So um, a lot of it is communicating with Mayo and asking her to remind me about things. I've got things in Outlook. I also have notebooks where I'm writing things, not so much to be able to reference them, but to help them get better into my mind, because I know there's that that body-brain connection. So a lot of times when I'm taking notes, it's not not to be able to reference them, but to be able to, to build them in a bit better. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about your adorable baby, because you, <laughs> you've been very visible in the fact that you were going to bring this baby everywhere you were going to go, because you have a right to do that. And I'm I'm curious about it seems to me, at least from my view of it, that people sort of embrace this, um, especially especially once they got over sort of the, the shock of how you were bringing the baby to city council meetings and to lunch meetings and to pretty much any meeting I had with you. The baby was always there. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. this is great. But was that a conscious choice? Or you were just like, I, I have nowhere, I have no one to watch this baby, so it's going to stay with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder what would have happened had my mom and my sister, my mom's in D.C., my sister's in San Diego. If they lived here, would I have done things differently? At least for those first three months, I don't think I would have because I needed her close to me. I um, I wouldn't have imagined how much I have experienced my daughter as being a part of me that is slowly becoming independent that through the pregnancy and even beyond, she's just a little bit less part of me day by day. And having her there, being able to continue nurturing her, and especially in those three, three mo- first three months, she was eating, she was pooping, she was sleeping. That was it. <laughs> that was it. And it, it made so much sense to have her right there. 
And now, as she's she's she learned to crawl this week. I, she's she's got she's watching my mouth move and trying to mimic the the faces I'm making and figuring out trying new sounds. I'm not missing those moments mm-hmm. when I talk. I it, it really was I stumbled into it. I I didn't make a plan, and I I intentionally didn't make a plan because I knew I didn't know what the right thing to do was, and. You know, I gave up my full time gig to do this. I get twenty four thousand a year, and the rest of my time that I'm I am uh, doing the city council work is uh, pro bono, you could say, because it's a labor of love, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, paying for daycare was going to be expensive. I knew that that my husband uh, is he's he's fully in on this parenting. I mean, we are co parenting very solidly, and and he is he takes her some as well. Um, so I knew that we could figure it out together. So, so yeah, I kind of stumbled into it. I had, I had someone ask me in the building one day, they said, how did you get to do this? How did you get to bring her everywhere? And I said, well, I mean, I, I didn't ask. <laughs> I didn't. I, who am I going to ask? All 40,000 constituents? Like, y'all all right with this? Yeah. Is this cool? You could take a poll. Is yeah. this cool? <laughs> right? And I've I've been surprised at how supportive people have been too. She's our morale officer. She's our unofficial mm-hmm. morale officer for the city. She makes everyone in City Hall happier. The mayor's some of the mayor's staff said to me today, "Could you come visit us every day?" I suddenly <laughs> feel so much calmer. Oh. Like, well, I was going to ask if like having the baby with you all the time ended up being like a shield between you and some of your angrier constituents, where they're like afraid to sort of you know, show their full emotions because you had a baby right in front of you. I'm curious about that as well. I mean, it's kind of hard to know. Um, we've speculated, we've speculated that that might be the case. Although, you know, in the in the instance that the one Tolson, who's not my constituent, I had to get a restraining order against him. Mm-hmm. Part of how I was able to be, I think, the first person to get a restraining order against him is that he involved my daughter in his threats that he was specifically saying things about how he was going to make sure I could spend more time with her in the NICU and things like that. Really creepy stuff. And that was the bridge too far where people said, you know, we know he's had mental health issues. He's been a strange character in in Tulsa for a while. But now he's threatening not only this elected official, but also her unborn child. So in that way, I think it made me a little bit of a lightning rod. I think he saw me as vulnerable. And, uh, you know, he maybe maybe is someone that, that needs some power. And saw that he he thought he could take it from me. Turns out that a restraining order was the right move. It's worked really well, surprisingly enough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I uh, I think some people underestimate me because I've got this really friendly mommy vibe going on. <laughs> um, that's that's all right. <laughs> so um, I mean, now that you are a public official in the public eye, I mean, obviously there was you know the one particular bad bad situation. But other than that, how have you? See, I mean, how has that met your expectations going in, what it would be like to be in the public eye, and how has it been different? Yeah, I didn't expect the volume of communication that I have, because not every city councilor experiences this. District 4, I love us. I love that we are so engaged, and we all want to be a part of it. Heck, we we want a podcast about it, right? Um, Please subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But it's it's a lot. And I aim to be the most accessible counselor that I could be. I'm having to build systems for that because they weren't in place. That wasn't handed to me. I didn't have constituent lists. Um, I certainly wasn't going to grab the list that I could pull from from being a candidate. Um, that's 
totally separate that it would be unethical for me to utilize that information. So I've had to build all of that fresh. Who have I got? Uh, who's here? What are they doing? Who can who can uh, advise me? How do I invest smart trust? I figure you can trust, like Malcolm Gladwell says, you can inv- trust everyone for something. You got to figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. And certainly I've had people who bend the truth a little, kind of trying to sick me on someone like a mad dog, and I have to be able to catch that. Mm -hmm. I've also been surprised by, I knew how underfunded the state government was. I knew that Oklahoma was the only city in the nation that required cities to be dependent, solely dependent on sales tax. I knew that that was wacky, but I didn't realize that that would equal like all sorts of goofy IT issues where I'm losing access to my email all the time or, um, you know, lots of things that we want to get done or we've been trying to get done, but we don't have the funding to do it yet. A lot of that has been surprising as well. Well, being respectful of your time, um, I think we'll we'll wrap up with our our common wrap up that we do, which is now you get to pick out something in, in our nerd cave, nerd cave studio and either talk about why you love it so much or have one of us explain what exactly it is. Oh man. I love this nerd cave. (laughs) I mean, I, that was part of my platform that I, you know, this is the, the, um, making government a little bit nerdier is, and I'm, I'm, I'm a part of, uh, Tulsa, Tulsa geek chicks and Tulsa nerd girls. Uh, shout out to both those groups of amazing women. We, they would be really impressed with this room. And I, the thing that drew my eye immediately was classic Star Trek because my dad, showed me all of those, you know, and also we didn't have cable when I was a kid and it was on. And I, and so I know, I know those storylines, but then I saw Mantis behind me from Kung Fu Panda. And so I, I studied botany and some entomology and whatnot. And I love insects. I know that's weird. I'm, I'm the one that if there's a wasp in the office or a spider, call me, I'll rescue you. I've rescued people in city hall already. Uh, so I saw that. And I, and I also really love martial arts. I'm excited for my, my daughter to learn martial arts at some point. So yeah, Mantis is it, Mantis for the win, y'all. Mantis for, from Kung Fu Panda. All yeah. right. Excellent. Surprising. Yes. Um, I've been told that, uh, Poe from Kung Fu Panda is my spirit animal. So, I see it. I might have been it might have been me saying that to myself, but <laughs> I like it. That's great. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us, and I imagine we will do this again because we are both your constituents and we have concerns. So I'll come on anytime. Thank you guys so <laughs> yeah. much. Uh, remember, by the way, I, just, I as I told you this on Facebook, I'll tell you again. Every time, especially when I'm walking around TU and I see a scooter that has fallen over or was left in the middle of a sidewalk, I move it. Mm-hmm. Yay! Don't block the walk. Yep. Yeah. Don't, don't block the walk. Speaking of that, oh. uh, use 311, the app. It works. When I bike to work, if there's a sign blocking the the trails or blocking the bike lanes, anything like, or on the sidewalks, usually gets moved within, you know, the, by the next day. So brilliant. I love it's it. another it's great working. way to connect to city government and we'll, take pictures and it works. We'll put a link, uh, a link to the 311 app in our episode notes so please subscribe (laughs) well thank you so much (laughs) thanks guys have a great day you too thank you all for listening to another episode of pod for good please subscribe to our podcast on itunes google play stitcher spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you're having problems finding it on your podcaster of choice Please try Pod for Good, all is one word, or even sometimes, weirdly enough, my name, Jesse Ulrich. Chris and I are excited for you to catch our next episode in two weeks. Get it done, Tulsa. 
So, uh, whoa, whoa, we timed that. Th- that's definitely going to be our first blooper. Oh, 